Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, and welcome to Paul or Nothing. I am your host, Sam Wiles, and no, 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 right, this isn't the official start of the podcast. You probably guessed as much by the lack of an opening title sequence, unless you really think that I am that dopey and would forget to put the title card in, but certain situations and certain lack of situations have resulted in in me having to essentially start this episode with a little bit of a prologue as it were with a little preamble just to kind of explain the context of this episode how it was made and why it's now being presented in the way that it is okay this is already starting to sound uh, some something truly epic akin to like Hodorowsky's Dune or um, Heart of Darkness or something which this really isn't if anything this is more like Richard Linklater's Boyhood in that it is an episode that was you know, it was recorded over an extensive period of time, actually, with at least kind of ten separate pathetic recording sessions. Oh, and it's also like Boyhood because it's rubbish. Actually, thinking about how many how many recording sessions that this episode had, it makes me think of Back to the Fucking Egg or something. However, this was not recorded at EMI, then Abbey Road, then in a blooming castle, but was instead recorded in my bedroom, literally over like a dozen times, with even more failed attempts at times over my three-month absence this was kind of um a real hurdle for me to get over like to kind of get this episode up and out there and just the fact that it's coming out now so long ago so long after egypt station has come out does make me wonder whether i should have just kind of scrapped the whole thing and just gone back and just done a, a proper analysis of egypt station and maybe skipped ahead and done the egypt station part one and two proper episodes now but I enjoy doing this kind of like more uh, spur of the moment content and the first half of this episode certainly is that and was recorded mostly on the day or the day after I uh, bought Egypt Station on vinyl but the second half over the last kind of quarter year everything my family my job everything else uh, it kind of resulted in this Frankenstein's podcast but yeah that's everything Uh, not too much to say about this one of course, I'm still listening to Egypt Station right now. It is still on a heavy rotation in my life. The album hasn't actually been out that long, and yet I guess just the excitement of having a new good number one. Yes, uh, Egypt Station did go to number one in the States whilst I was off, which is just a fantastic achievement. Well done, Paul, there. But yeah, having all of this, having all this going on is still a lot to process. I don't want to make any rush judgments. And just absorbing Egypt Station has just been such an interesting experience for me, both as a Paul McCartney fan and as a podcaster slash content creator for you lot. This is still new ground for us, and that's always exciting. The real official part one and part two of Egypt Station, whether I do that chronologically or whether I do that uh, sooner is yet to be decided but here are my original thoughts on Egypt Station as recorded over a belatedly long bloated recording session. But yeah, enjoy. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music and the man behind it all. Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, goodbye. Who cares? I don't know. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I'm, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and 
I'm very well aware that I start off every episode by saying that this is a very special episode, but today we have an extra sprinkling of special, an extra rarity for you today, as perhaps this may be only the uh, only one of its kind, because what we have here today, folks, I'm not even going to do the joke, is a brand new album by none other than Paul McCartney. Yes, the Big Mac has indeed released his 17th studio album. It is called Egypt Station. There are 16 songs on it, 18 if you got the Target exclusive version. That is not the one that I got. I'm sure I'll be reviewing those other two songs on another bonus episode some other time. But despite repeated warnings, we are here today to do another quick live review, aka some of my initial raw reactions to Egypt Station. What did I think of it? I've listened to it to it about seven, eight times in a row now. Some songs are even more than that. Some really did kind of strike a chord with me. And we know that before. I've done episodes similar to this, and they show the different types of styles that we do on this show. This isn't the official Egypt Station episode. That is going to come further along down the line. But I know you're all dying to know the main question. What did I think of Egypt Station? Well, I don't want to go into spoilers too quickly, but it's safe to say that my desire for the album to be absolutely terrible, so I'd have lots and lots to talk about in that sense as a critic, has not been met. It really hasn't, folks. You can all take a deep sigh of relief. I'm not going to be eviscerating Egypt Station at all. And I know that I'm a little excited about some new content on this show, a new album. So, you know, I, I do have to be extra conscious of the fact that I'm, I might be a little bit overly positive. And who knows, maybe when the time comes to do that official full two-part episode, my, my opinions, a few of my opinions may have changed. We'll have to see. But as we all know, wanting something to be good can skew your perspective. I want this album to do well. I want people to listen to this album. I want this album to be a part of the musical conversation at the moment. Whether it will or won't be depends on the chart performance, so we'll just see about that. But yeah, this is our zero hour, patient zero, first impressions of Egypt Station. Besides a couple of lifeline bullet points for myself, this is going to be mostly unscripted. I'm going to be indeed going off book somewhat. I know, I know, wish me luck, the stuttering mess that I am. This won't be as detailed, thoroughly researched, or as eloquent as one of our proper episodes, but it's important to record this both uh, to ride the wave of clickbait and interest surrounding Paul McCartney at this present moment, but also uh, we all know the value uh, of having a little extra time to digest the material on this show all too well, as we saw with our similarly semi-live review that I did a couple of weeks back for the single release of I Don't Know and Come On To Me, which were also off Egypt Station. As we know, I didn't receive those songs particularly well when I first heard them. There was a little bit of shock factor there. And whilst there were indeed some surprises that did uh, bring a smile to my face on Egypt Station, it's safe to say that there wasn't anything shocking. Uh, I, I, I wasn't shocked by anything that was on this album. It is very Paul McCartney. That is very safe to say as well. It is not unsurprising in that sense. You're not going to listen to this and, you know, it's not going to be all day and four or five seconds with Kanye West and Rihanna or anything like that. This is a Paul McCartney album through and through. It's probably more Pipes of Peace than Tug of War. And we'll get onto the general tone of the album just in a moment. Of course, before I actually give you the goods and start talking about these specific songs and the album in general. We'll have to do some housekeeping. I'm going to keep it brief, mostly because I am off script, but also because this is a big day and I want to crack on with the show. Check out our Patreon, which is just 
patreon.com slash mccartneypod. That is the best way to support the show, help the show grow, help keep the lights running. We do have a, in, we do indeed have a couple of Patreon supporters. Big shout out to them. They help keep the show going. Obviously, I want to keep the show ad free and if you want to see more of, of oh, and if you want to see more of the show it's the best way to encourage that and if you want to see me try newer and different things with the show then it's simply the best way to do that in whatever way you can check out the links down below support our blog which is www.wordpress.com slash mccartney pod that is the best place to do check out any content that hasn't yet made it onto the show or can't quite fit onto the show i'm always writing about macca 24 7 and that's where most of my stuff goes before it even ever becomes an episode check that out links down below again you can find us on facebook and youtube simply by typing in paul or nothing or paul mccartney podcast or mccartney pod the quickest way to get in contact with us is via our twitter which is at mccartney pod the twitter's going crazy at the moment everyone's talking about egypt station i'm having to keep up with that i'm just constantly posting egypt station stuff right now trying to get a conversation going links down below get involved in that conversation if you want a more personal and intimate chat like a lovely guy named Sean did the other day. Big shout out to Sean from Cornwall. Thank you very much. If you want to get in contact with the show in a more personal way, if you've got anything you want me to read out on the show, whether you've got your own reviews for the music, maybe you've agreed or disagreed with something I've said, maybe you've got your own poor bit of trivia, factoid or anecdote, anything at all, your Paul McCartney story, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. And finally, of course, leave us a five-star iTunes review if you can spare five minutes. Now, Egypt Station, I think it's time to depart, don't you? So originally I was going to record this, so I was originally going to record this uh, on the day it was released. It was released on September 7th, it is now the morning of September 8th. And I tried to record my initial thoughts and it was a little bit too rambly, a little bit too scattershot and unfocused. So I thought best to get a good night's sleep and approach the material fresh-faced and with a fresher perspective. I feel like over the time leading up to the album's release... I had managed to gauge somewhat of a fairer, more realistic expectation as what the album was going to be. And I think I, I definitely had the correct mindset going into the album. Uh, I wasn't like confrontational with the material. I wasn't expecting for it to be something else. I, I was very much in Paul's palm from track one to track 16 slash 18, depending on on how you number it. And immediately I knew that this was going to be an album that would definitely appeal to anyone who would normally buy a McCartney album. I am the kind of person that would like any old McCartney album, so oh, you know what folks, I really shouldn't have been worried at all, because, spoiler alert, Egypt Station's actually pretty good. Pretty damn good, if you ask me. And, you know, yeah, this may be a case of the album exceeding lowered expectations, but I can honestly say, right off the bat, that I had fun with this album. There are tunes that are on my Spotify Paul McCartney playlist right now that I'm looking forward to listening to on my cycle to work. Or maybe I'll be listening to the Mark Maron interview with McCartney. I don't know. I'll see how I feel on that one. But I certainly connected with Egypt Station far more tangibly and viscerally than I did with most of the material on New. And whilst you can argue that Egypt Station is still in that kind of same lightweight rock pop mode that New was, it, it definitely feels like a slightly more interesting shift for me there are moments that really quite moved me. There are many beautiful moments. Many of the orchestral moments are so beautiful. The 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 scoring and the symphony that Paul creates just just in in these little ten second moments, these these little thirty second moments that are very very fleeting, but they are just so lush and 
serene and then he creates so many different soundscapes across these 16 songs and he's already said in the mojo interview that he uh, did as well that he's got 10 more songs that could have gone on this album so it'd be interesting to see what the next project will be and how many of those will feature on that next one but it just shows how much variety and experimentation what went on during these sessions I'm not saying there's anything like Tomorrow Never Knows or Revolution 9 on here, but Paul is definitely trying to keep the audience's attention. You know, there are rockers, there are ballads, there are, there's a bit of world music on here. There are echoes of a bit of techno Paul and a bit of Twin Freaks and the Firemen in there. That, you know, it's very much a look at Paul's entire career. There are so many songs on this album where you kind of could take them out and mix and match them across the entirety of his career that there are songs that could have come from just post Beatles days there are some songs that are definitely very 70s definitely very wings and then there are some that kind of have that corny cheesy quality of his 80s and 90s work as well overall I'm very pleased with it yes I know that I'm a guy who runs a Paul McCartney podcast and it does benefit me to for more people to buy and like this album even if the, you know, the sales aren't you know necessarily going to me but I was trepidatious. I was worried that I was going to have to come on come on to here and kind of argue with the fans because I know that the fans are definitely going to love this one. It, you know, it's, it's made for Paul McCartney fans and there is so much food and so much nourishment for the veteran Paul McCartney fan in this album. There is something for any Macca fan to enjoy and then hopefully they'll find that one song and get hooked on to the rest of the album. But I can also enjoy general audiences getting quite a bit of enjoyment from it as well. The high quality, finely tuned production at the helm of Greg Kirsten does give the album that very obvious chart-topping appeal, whereby one of the songs could surprise us and slip through the net and become rather popular in the future outside of the admittedly already giant built-in fan base. The album overall, and I'm not saying this in a cynical way at all, but almost, you know, it, but almost as a, a compliment, feels a little bit like a soft reboot akin to say something like Star Wars The Force Awakens or Jurassic World, that kind of vibe where there is all these layered nostalgic little winks and nods for the fans, but there is this genuine attempt to bring it all around for a new audience, a new generation who can now experience Paul for the first time. And it pulls this off without indulging itself in any of the trappings and cringe that a concept like that could have gone. Like this could have really gone like, you know, like Paul McCartney doing dubstep or something really awful like that. It's an album that knows what its roots are, and this is re reflected in the songwriting and the lyrics as well. Paul is aware that he is Paul McCartney. He is aware on this album that he was Paul McCartney the Beatle, Paul McCartney the member of Wings, Paul McCartney the solo act, Paul McCartney the husband, Paul McCartney the father, and Paul McCartney the Holy Spirit. And as I predicted in some of the earlier episodes on in the lead-up to this album, it is an album that does use the fact that Paul McCartney is now an older man to its advantage, it does admit that it's the album of an ageing Paul McCartney. It references his own age and his life a lot more than in previous releases. And whilst it's not autobiographical in any sense of the word, it still does have more nods to Paul and where he is as a person now than I really would have expected, in all honesty. Songs like People Want Peace and Do It Now and Happy With You are really quite very... Uh, candid and you know it's a peeling back of the curtain that that is very nourishing for a Paul McCartney fan in and to quote myself from the Twitter last night I, I do have to reinforce and point out that there is nothing 
nothing that I would consider embarrassing or offensively bad or laughable on Egypt Station. Earnestly, it is a solid Paul McCartney release. It is a respectable release. I like it a lot more than new and memory almost full. Yes, perhaps it is, you know, somewhat of my Paul McCartney album, for it was the album that was released when I was, you know, running a Paul McCartney podcast. But I think outside of the fact that it is the Paul McCartney album of my generation, somewhat weird as that is to say, being that he's 76 years old, even the worst songs on it are, you know, just generic McCartney filler. And outside of Macca's own indulgences and quirks, the sheer quality of songwriting, the catchy melodies, and even a few surprise hit numbers more than justify this album's existence. It's a perfect time for it to come out. There is so much Paul McCartney nostalgia and Beatles nostalgia going around at the moment. And Paul gives the fans exactly what he wants, as well as appealing to a new audience in a broad way, but not too broad. It does seem quite finely tuned, almost with military scientific pinpoint precision to do that, you know, to appeal to the inbuilt fan base who will buy the album, as well as appeal to people who may buy the album. And I reckon this one could do just as good, if not better, than new, especially with all the especially with all the furore with Paul going on James Corden and appearing on Mark Maron and the uh, little furore surrounding Fur You and all of that, you know, it, the album could do well. I wouldn't be surprised if it did reasonably well because it is a must-have purchase for any Macca fan and would be a great purchase for any friend, family member or stranger on the bus who wouldn't mind some catchy, well-crafted, easy-listening pop music. Okay, where's my check? Where's my check? And that's not to say that this album is co you know, completely without thought and real emotion and depth, because it really isn't. Paul, in quite explicit detail in a couple of the interviews that he's done for the promotion of Egypt Station, has talked about how he really is uh, a bit deeper than possibly his public persona might lead on, because obviously he has quite a carefree nature. And this album is very carefree in certain spots. It's very easy and relaxing to listen to but there are certain spots where it does get a little real and it does get a little more uh, personal and a little more thoughtful and those moments are equally as enjoyable and as nourishing than any of those catchy rhythms. So I woke up on September 7th which is the day that it was released here in the UK and no this show is not uh, popular enough for MPL or Capital Records to send me a press kit hardy ha ha so like a common pleb I had to wait for its official release I was round of friends in Stafford uh, unfortunately Stafford does not have a single place that would actually sell Paul's new album the, the, the town centre was, was shockingly barren actually so I had to get a train to Wolverhampton Wolverhampton was actually the place where I went to university I know the HMV there very well I remember buying Jack White's blunderbuss there I remember buying Ram on CD there for some reason. I remember buying Tom Waits Bad As Me. But yeah, I had to get the train to Wolverhampton and it was already 9.30 by the, by the time I caught the train and I know that and I know that HMV opens its doors at 9 o'clock so I'm panicking and I'm panicking and I'm, I'm worried that that HMV is going to run out of all of its copies that there's going to be this, this horde of angry nerds in Wolverhampton who are between the ages of like 45 and 70 who are desperate to get Egypt Station, a few Simon Mayo looking types who are dressed far too young for their age and whilst I was on the train I was in the middle of fucking nowhere so I couldn't get my 4G so I got my sister to text me through the number for that local HMV 
And I tried time and time again to try and get through to them, but I couldn't get through. And I was really panicking that there was going to be nothing there for me by, by, by the time I got, I got there. So I rode my bike from the train station really quickly. And I leapt off my bike and I ran up, locked it up and I got into HMV. And there was no display. There was no point of sale. There was no little, little cardboard stand, no posters, no hanging banners or anything. You would not know that Paul McCartney, the most successful recording artist, of all-time bassist of the Beatles, writer of Mull of Kintyre, had to do album out at all. Nope, there was no clue whatsoever. There might have been a little poster in the window, but no, but nothing in the in the in the shop. There was fucking giant displays for Transformers and Jason Statham movies and Ready Player One and T-shirts for Jurassic Park and stuff, which I'm not opposed to at all. But come on, I was expecting something with a little more pizzazz uh, and eventually after running around the shop for 10 seconds and finding absolutely nothing I had to resort to asking a member of staff which is just very un-British and something we don't like to do at all I had to ask a member of staff where it was and he pointed me to a single copy that was in the vinyl section now he did say a couple of people were in earlier but it does make me wonder whether there was just literally no interest in this album in this part of the country at all maybe there was a little bit of market research done maybe they know they don't have a lot of vinyl sales there at all but Come on, HMV. I was expecting like at least 20 copies of it available, maybe 10 copies of the standard pressing and 10 of the deluxe. Uh, and by the time I got there, there was literally there was just one there in the vinyl section looking beautiful in its yellow glory with that ibex with its horns going backwards and all the great Macca artwork. And the guy came up to me and he was very apologetic. It was, it was a lovely member of staff. And he's like, I'm really sorry, friend. He was like, I'm really sorry, mate. I've only got the deluxe edition. And I was like, what? Yeah, sorry, we've only got the deluxe release. Obviously, this guy did not know who he was fucking with. I've got, pff, Paul McCartney podcaster here, mate. Uh, do you not know who I am? Obviously, he didn't. Uh, but I was very excited because that's the one that I wanted to get. Apparently, though, it's not the version that I wanted. HMV at this time, well, I think they're their only shop releasing it on vinyl at this time. And it does have all of the songs on it, the, the 16 tracks from opening station to C-Link, but it doesn't have the two extra songs, the two bonus tracks. I don't know if they're Japanese-only ones, but I know that Target in the United States is releasing those two extra tracks. And I thought HMV was as well. I thought that's the version I was getting. I think they had the CD with those two extra songs, but I'd already spent a fiver on a copy of Mojo with Paul's face, and this vinyl was, a, was another £40, like $60 anyway, so I was going to get another fucking CD just for two extra songs. So, oh well. But yeah, I was very excited. I had the copy in my hand and I was going to run home as quickly as possible so I could listen to the album for the first time. Only um, it wasn't going to be the first time I was going to listen to the album. I did have a bit of a trepidation. I actually discussed this with a couple of other people whether I was going to listen to Egypt Station for the first time on vinyl at home and have a certain connection and experience with the tactile uh, physical music or whether I was going to listen to it on Spotify on my earphones on the train. And being the very weak-willed man that I am, with no sense of self-control or restraint or patience whatsoever, after about 10 minutes of riding my bike to the train station, I immediately stopped exactly where I was in the middle of a park and flicked on Egypt Station, listened to the opening state, and I popped the opening track on, and I was immediately hooked. I could not just turn it off. Unfortunately, due to 4G and Wi-Fi uh, being very intermittent in the area, it did mean I had to wait till I got to Wolverhampton until I could listen to all of the songs. I only got to manage to download the first five or six or whatever, and two of them I'd heard before anyway. 
But even so, I was listening to those six on repeat on the train, certainly. Actually, rather weirdly, uh, Spotify didn't turn off the shuffle function when I first popped Egypt Station on for the first time. And after I'd listened to the opening track, opening station, it actually jumped straight to People Want Peace. And I must say, and I'll probably bring, bring this up when I, when, I, when I talk about the song, it, it was actually a fucking great intro, actually. Uh, especially lyrically, it was very fitting. Um, but still, I actually... But still, besides that gaff, besides the 4G being and the Wi-Fi being intermittent and interrupting my experience of Egypt Station, I was devouring the album at a fanatical rate. I listened to it three or four times on my bike ride back from Wolverhampton. I think I got lost intentionally just so I could listen to the album an extra time all, all along the canal sides. I had a big chimp-like grin on my face. I was so happy on the way back. It was a fantastic album to go along with the bright summer, summery day. And overall, I have some very positive experiences with Egypt Station. The moment I got it home, I created another one. I did pop it on the vinyl. I saw it going around. I heard that gorgeous little crackle and it came It came through my dodgy, cheap, shitty speakers and it still sounded fucking fantastic. I, I've, I've probably worn the vinyl raw now. It probably doesn't work anymore, but it's worth it. The music was so fun to listen to. And listening to that now, and having slept on it, and not having listened to the album since yesterday, brings us right up to now. And so, the way I want to do it is, it's, it's going to be the way that will most aid my rambling, distractible, meandering brain box. And the way I'm going to do it is, I'm going to, I'm going to pause the recording each time, listen to each individual track, and report back to you folks out there on the interwebs. So it's all a little bit fresher in my mind, because there's a lot of fucking content on this album, folks. We're going to be discussing the 16 songs from the standard release. We don't have the two bonus tracks, like I say. We'll review those further along down the line. But I'm going to try and keep this one brief. You know I always try to keep it brief, mostly just so I don't spoil the proper Egypt Station episode. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but also you all know me and... This could go for any length of time, couldn't it? Even though I do have to leave for work in a couple of hours. Uh, opening station! So the first song, the first new song from Egypt Station, the, is probably titled Opening Station. Obviously this song is meant to reflect the journey that we are meant to be going on on this album. This is the definite A starting point, point A. And what an opening it is. It's definitely a palate cleanser like we've discussed before on this show. It is a bit of common patter that Paul uses that definitely creates this certain uh, difference between then and now. It reminds me of when he talks about going into those clubs before and those and those art galleries where you would go out of your world and into their world. You are being introduced to the world of Egypt Station, whether your brain knows it or not. It starts out with these very realistic sounds, the sounds of everyday life and the world around you. This is definitely your world. And then slowly, as the music comes through, you start to be more drawn into the world of Egypt Station until suddenly there are no more sounds of the diegetic real world and now you are just solely with the music. It's a very similar effect to, say, the opening of Sgt. Pepper with the orchestral moments or the opening of Tug of War, which is a very, you know, mundane and worldly in use of sound as well. 
and the way that we are brought into this world like through the soundscape of an actual train station as well also makes it does feel like you know you are getting aboard the train you are getting on board with this journey with Paul and that you are ready for the ride ahead musically it's very beautiful it is very serene it's like a fucking glade in a forest with a deer drinking from a little stream it's very beautiful it almost sounds like some of the orchestral work that Paul would have done for that game Destiny I definitely got some Halo Combat Evolved vibes from this music as well but obviously it's not going to be a song that's going to be listened to outside of the album but it serves its function brilliantly well it gets you ready for Egypt Station you go into Paul McCartney's world and you forget about yours you are now along for the ride yet it is a song more of function than of substance but it does the job exactly in the way that it should in terms of modern pop music as well it did also remind me a little bit of the opening song for Kanye West's album My Dark Beautiful Twisted Fantasy which does also have that kind of choral score and these angelic sounds and it almost sounds like Paul is descending from the heavens with this music that he has now brought for us and whilst it may have this very positive uplifting very mysterious very alluring beguiling tone to it it actually shifts into a much less upbeat song than you may expect I don't know so this was one of the very first songs that I was exposed to for this new album. It might have been actually the very first. Like I don't know if I heard this before, come on to me or not. But I do remember that my opinion of it was not very positive when I first saw it. And for those of you who have been on the Twitter, you'll actually see that I actually put I Don't Know in my top four songs from Egypt Station. So there really has been a bit of a 180 degree turn on that one. Obviously, just because I want to pander to you fans and try and get some Patreon money. I'm not going to make that dough if I disagree with you now, am I? But no, I Don't Know is a song that really has grown on me like a bad spot or a fungus. I have caught myself singing along to the melody of this song. The masterful chord progression is just undeniable. And as I've detailed before, it is a song that does utilise the fact that it is an old McCartney singing it to its advantage. It's an interesting angle to see Paul singing as an old man, looking back reflectively over his life and, you know, the... Uh, vulnerability on display and the unsureness, the you know, which is very untypical for McCartney, you know, like a lack of self-confidence, you know, to see that be put on display so blatantly in his songwriting is something that we really haven't seen before. On the surface, it might seem somewhat lyrically a little flat, but I, I, I don't know. I think that might be a little bit too simple of a reading into it. There actually is quite a little bit going on inside. I don't know, like I've just said. And I do think it is a song that does bear repeat listens to kind of get what the song's really going for. Like, I'm not saying it's dark or anything, but it's certainly more maudlin and grey and a little bit more melancholy than the average McCartney piano ballad and yet it manages to explore these new territories these new styles of songwriting and these new ideas for Paul without sacrificing that that core melody I really can't stress enough just how well composed this song is it does sound like one of those classic Macca compositions of days gone by. It, it really does have that confidence of, you know, this is what this song is going to sound like. This is what it should. I know it's going to work. Whilst a lot of the songs on this album, Paul really could have churned out in an afternoon. 
this one does have a real sense of craftsmanship behind it. Like, I do feel confident that Paul is going to deliver a very strong album from this point onwards. You can tell why he started off with I Don't Know. And it does contrast wonderfully with the positive opening that was the opening station. It's showing us that Paul isn't just going to give us this throwaway pop album, but he's going to try and give us something with a little bit more meat on the bones. And I do appreciate that. And in his older days, he's going to open up the curtain a little bit more because time is, you know, unfortunately running out and he might not have the chance to say some of the things that he's wanted to say before. The piano also has that classic McCartney vibe to it. It just has that pure nostalgic whimsy whereby you do feel that Paul could have written this in, say, like 1980 and been touring with this for the last 20 years. Again, many of the songs on this album that we're going to discuss today do feel like they, they could have been pulled from a Woody Allen-esque draw of previously unexplored ideas. The production on this song is also a fantastic marker point for the rest of the album. The production is just so astute and finely tuned and there's nothing you can say about how this album sounds or the atmospheres that it creates that can come anywhere close to a negative comment. Greg Kirsten has done a fantastic job with this album and he's really brought that Adele seal of quality to McCartney's songwriting. It's a perfect marriage. It makes sense. Paul knows what how to make a pop song. Greg Kirsten knows how a pop song sounds. And together, it does feel like a very natural partnership. I'm not saying it's like George Martin, Paul McCartney, or anything. There isn't that real nostalgic edge. You know, maybe that would be something like uh, an Irvin Kirschman or a George Lucas. And this Greg Kirsten is definitely the J.J. Abrams of this. And he manages to recreate those warm, nostalgic, older McCartney feelings that are just so appealing to the average McCartney fan like me. Also, got to do a big shout out to the bass in this song as well. I've just caught myself so many times just going, boom, 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 boom. And throughout the entirety of this album, Paul is going to demonstrate that outside of still being able to get it up in terms of the songwriting department, um, and no one's ever going to question his piano playing abilities, Paul still does some pretty damn good bass on this album. We don't have a silly love songs entry or anything like that, but for a 76-year-old, the bass on this is pretty damn funky, pretty damn groovy, to say the least. And at the end of the day, I can't deny the fact that I just keep singing this song over and over. It probably started out more as a parody, just me going, I got crows at my window, dogs at my door. But now, I'm actually genuinely just walking around the house going, I don't think I can take it anymore. You know, in my obviously out-of-tune, horribly sung way, but... The song has grown on me. I do find it quite catchy. I like the direction it goes and the sense of restraint Paul has in not trying to do a song performed by a younger version of himself and exploring new areas of songwriting just means that I can't resist it at all. Now, whilst I think that this song might be the better kind of mode and approach for Paul to approach his songwriting, if you wanted to kind of take it really seriously, I do know that if he did do a whole album of stuff like I Don't Know, then it really just wouldn't be a Paul McCartney album at all. It would just be a kind of faux, you know, later Johnny Cash or Leonard Cohen type album. And that really isn't what we want. I'm glad that Paul does give us a genuinely earnest, down-to-earth song, like, I don't know, especially just to, to start off the album. It's a very strong statement, but I'm still glad that he doesn't have too much restraint. But I'm still glad that he is able to be himself even at 76 and still give us some of those quirky little Paul McCartney ditties that make his albums what they are. Speaking of throwaway little ditties that make the album what they are, 
Come on to me. This was the other one that I heard as part of the double A side, part of the two opening songs that I heard for Egypt Station. Again, when I first heard it, I wasn't much of a fan at all. Again, my expectations were a little skewed, shall we say. Again, Come On To Me is now a song that I do not have the exact same feelings for when I first heard it. It's still definitely the the, the weaker song in terms of the double A side. It, it, it doesn't have the same kind of class, shall we say, as I don't know. But Come On To Me as a quirky little fun McCartney rocker does have its place in history now and whilst it's not going to light the rock and roll world on fire it certainly has its charms there you know this is a very fun little number that does seem a little politically odd at first glance uh, you know McCartney as a 76 year old man coming on to people is just a little bit weird but you know this song is alter ego of I don't know you know one example is a man looking back and kind of you know being reflective in the present and this guy is a Paul looking backwards and kind of vicariously living that youth again and inviting us along for the ride and the exploration into that you know the tete-a-tete -tete, the rules of the game of flirtation and coming on to someone and having someone coming on to you is something that Paul really hasn't done in this kind of upfront and blatant way and rather like Fur You, which we'll also talk about later, it's cheeky enough to get away with its own silly concept. The production again is certainly the aspect that keeps me coming back to this song. There are so many just little moments that keep getting me hooked in, just like the do 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 or that little harmonica in the background, the ha 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 it's just so well put together and there are so many layers that build up to create this real crescendo of a song like the whole song is basically one big build up as like you know all the heavy bass drums get added and it really does feel like a runaway train this is certainly one of the most wild parts of the entire ride and again you can see why Paul would front uh, end and uh, you know make the this, this first side of the, of the album a little bit a little bit top heavy to get everyone hooked in but it's not so raucous that it feels out of place on an album like Egypt Station. Like, it is certainly a rocker by the 76-year-old Paul McCartney. This isn't something that he won't be able to perform live. And along with a couple of other songs on this album, there does seem to be a certain Venus and Marsification of certain elements of the songwriting, whereby you can tell that this song, as well as a couple of other songs that we'll discuss later, were definitely designed to be a part of the Freshen Up tour. You know, some, like, come on to me just screams a song that Paul would love to do live, maybe to replace something like Let Me Roll It, which would be a welcome change to the set list rather than getting rid of something that we, we all like, like Let It Be or Hey Jude, one of the songs that he has to play but can't get rid of. Come On To Me is awfully sing-alongable again, partly due to the fact that it's the one that's been out on Spotify the longest and I've been able to absorb for the longest, but again, just like I don't know, I have caught myself in a very guilty pleasure way singing along to Come On To Me of my own free will, of my own accord, not just when the song is on. And I know I'm going to see it in December when I see Paul McCartney live at the O2. And I know I'm going to be jiving and bopping along to it in the most I don't give a fuck, this is kind of awesome in its own lame way kind of way. Again, it's all about perspectives. This isn't going to be something like Hi 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 or Beware My Love. This is just something that Paul has created that's a bit of fun, that is a wonderful combination of uh, coming from both the it's just a bit of fun camp, but also from the I'm very experienced, I know what I'm doing in the studio camp, whereby no matter how corny or silly uh, it, it might feel in that kind of carefree pop sense. It never feels frivolous. Like, I'm glad that Come On To Me is a song like this from this album. 
again, I cannot reinforce how catchy Come On To Me is. It really does have that very guttural pop thumpiness whereby you just kind of feel yourself marching along to the beat. And whilst it is very, very simple, like I've said before, it does have that layering effect whereby there is kind of a lot going on in the background, but not in a overly stuffed or distracting way that takes a, a ending away from that real primal energy that the song has. And a lot of that energy also comes from the fact that it is kind of a, at least for Paul McCartney anyway, a bit of a sexier number, shall we say, even if it does kind of appeal more to the Me Too kind of generation. But hey, Paul is always adjusting to modern pop standards and this is just the natural evolution of that, I suppose. This song also highlights the concept of the album. I know the concept is kind of in quotation marks, but the idea that there's going to be different stops and each song is basically a different destination on the Egypt Station train line. And yeah, we are going to see throughout this album that we're going to be jumping from genre to genre very happily. And this song is a wonderful antithesis to I Don't Know. Both of these songs, again, Old McCartney looking at his life in different ways. And we front-ended them at the front of this album. So pretty much from here on, except for Fur You, it is all brand new content. And I think that was very intentional. Paul released the double A side of the opening two songs. And that meant for me, personally, just going into the album, that there was a lot of mystery and a lot of mystique that was going to come. And I was very excited from this point onward, especially after having the opening station to kind of clear my thoughts and get me in the mood for Egypt Station. Overall, I am glad that Paul has come on to me. Happy with you. So I was sat at the train station in Stafford and I was feeling a little bit low, a little, a little bit down, and I'd just listened to the opening station and the opening two tracks. And I was like, okay, you know, this is everything that I'd expected so far. There's nothing particularly new here, obviously. <laughs> Let's just see where, the, where this goes. I, I held my nose. I was ready to take the plunge. And then Happy With You comes on. And these gorgeous, wonderfully folksy, very relaxing acoustic notes just eek out of my earphones and into my ears and suddenly I, I feel this huge chimpanzee like grin on my face and I cannot help but feel very warm and happy and it's a feeling that I did not feel that I would expect. I felt this rush inside of me and suddenly I felt as if I was listening to a brand new Paul McCartney song from 1971. It felt like that wonderful era that McCartney won, that Ram 2 era, this really felt like a lost McCartney composition, something almost of Beatle quality. Happy With You is, for me, the standout track of the fucking album. It is absolutely fucking fire. I fuck with Happy With You all the way to Hull and back. This is a fantastic Paul McCartney song, very much in the same way that Jenny Wren would have been the standout of Chaos and Creation in the backyard. This, again, is that classic Paul McCartney sit-down, write-a-proper-song acoustic song in the vein of Again, things like Blackbird, Mother Nature's Son, Teddy Boy, Lovin' Song, and especially things like Country Dreamer, I Lie Around, or Mama's Little Girl in particular. I definitely got that kind of, you know, McCartney sitting by a stream on a hot summer's day vibe, and it perfectly brought out that kind of Stranger Things, Star Wars sense of nostalgia out in me where I, I really did feel like I was reconnecting with a certain sense of my youth. So well done, Paul, and your marketing sensibilities in that sense. But well done again in the fact that you've actually created a song that I would genuinely be listening to from now on. This has entered my favourite Paul McCartney songs of all time. It is a fucking beautiful song. I hadn't even talked about what is beautiful about it. 
The setting is just pinpoint exactly what I love about Paul McCartney. I've always wanted an album kind of like this, and I know he'll never give me that, so whenever he does give me something like this, I am just head over heels over the fucking moon. It is a wonderful acoustic ballad. It just has that perfect McCartney riff that you know is safely written by him. It is familiar, yet interesting and new. It's got that <laughs> secure feeling that it gives you. And the song itself actually does something a little bit different with the standard McCartney acoustic ballad formula. Rather than being a kind of uh, external, like, look for peace or something like that. It's actually a very inward-looking and very self-reflexive and very honest song, a lot more honest than I expected. The song Happy With You is actually Paul talking about his past and his past behaviours and his past excesses. You know, he talks about drinking too much, lying to his doctor, sitting around all day getting wasted and getting stoned and how him doing that as a young man was probably in, in part some sort of way in seeking happiness. He wasn't necessarily happy and he was seeking comfort and absolution in substance abuse and stuff like that. But now he doesn't. Now he doesn't do any of those things because he is happy with you. And he's, you know, whether that, you know, he's happy with us, his audience, or he's happy with his new wife, Nancy, is irrelevant as it's just a wonderful little love ballad that both could be sung by anyone of a certain age but especially done well by Paul. I would love to hear him do this live at the O2. I don't think he will. I don't think it's that kind of song but it's the exact kind of song that I want to hear from Paul McCartney. Again it's a song that uses the fact that he's an older Paul to its advantage. It's I love how Paul is going over his past with a fine tooth comb and and being a little bit more honest with himself about how he used to act back in the day when he was a little bit younger, and now he's a, a much older, much wiser, much more experienced. He knows that what he really wanted during all that time, ironically, was just love. The man who wrote silly love songs was quite sadly still seeking comfort in alcohol and marijuana and other substances, and it's a very interesting look behind the curtain, you know, yep, he might have been writing love in song, and maybe I'm amazed at that point, but maybe he wasn't truly happy. And I know some people are going to ask questions like, what, does that mean he wasn't happy with Linda McCartney? No, that's not what this song is saying at all. I'm sure even Nancy knows that that's not what this song is saying at all. It's just that it is Paul, an older Paul, looking back at the way he used to do things, and it's almost like he's giving advice to younger men who are in his situation, you know? He is showing people who may have been listening to that album whilst smoking a bit of weed in that typical musical fashion and maybe imparting a bit of wisdom of his own to the, the listener, saying that, you know, you don't necessarily have to go down that road and bring it all around full circle in that ultimate McCartney sentimental way. Once again, shock of horror, shock of horrors, the answer, of course, is just love, isn't it? And that's what makes it a fucking classic entry, an immediate classic entry in the McCartney canon. Again, standout song for me. I'm going to be listening to it over and over. The opportunity to listen to it again just to remind myself of its wonderful little details for this podcast was a treat indeed. And there are just so many little McCartney-isms that are just laid in that, of course, would appeal to a guy like me, especially when it just cuts to Paul going... For, as you all know, in Paul's demos, that is the one thing that I'm possibly most weak to. Ah, oh, that just hits the spot and touches my Maca nerve in a very inappropriate way. Throw in some wonderfully dirgy background Moog piano just to add to that weird symphonic artificiality in, in, in amongst all this wholesome, natural kind of scoring, along with those ancient pan flutes that kind of give it that underscore of bucolic rose-tinted looking backwards in the past mindset. 
Yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail about this one. I know I've been rambling about it because I fucking love it. It's a fantastic song. But yeah, I can easily see myself exhausting everything I have to say about it because I've just been listening to this one on, re on repeat non-stop. And yeah, if my opinion means anything to Paul McCartney, uh, all I have to say is, is that this is exactly what people want when thinking of what they want from a new Paul McCartney album. Something that actually does manage to capture lightning in a bottle. Who cares? Jumping straight onto the next rocker of the album and one, being one of the funkiest tracks, actually, all in all. And Who Cares is certainly one of those songs that fits into that Venus and Mars. Oh my God, Paul really wants to do this one live. And actually, uh, I found it on the Twitter by the name of at Colin Wright 89 actually sent in a photo of a set list that Paul actually performed a last night in a surprise gig in New York City and who cares was actually on that set list so certainly Paul is possibly going to try and push the rockier aspects of Egypt Station in his live set lists in the future maybe we'll get one of the softer ballads who knows but what I do know is that who cares is it's definitely a kind of like a wings track it has that kind of power rock vibe to it that kind of fist pump in the air mode that Paul likes to work in and it works on two levels both kind of like at, at the same time it kind of morphs from one to the other whereby when you first hear the chorus who cares you kind of think it's this kind of carefree kind of fuck the system kind of vibe whereby you know who cares what the idiots say who cares what the idiots do possibly another trump reference who knows but then it, it kind of turns it around on its head and it kind of subverts your expectations of paul being this kind of carefree guy and it turns around and he says yeah it is him who cares actually you know who cares about the pain in your heart who cares about you i do and it turns quite a uh, a different kind of paul mccartney song so that that could have been potentially quite different and and out there a bit of a political protest song for Paul and instead it, it does kind of subvert a subversion of expectations in a kind of last Jedi way and goes back to what you expect in the way that he turns it around it to I do and makes it a classic Paul McCartney love rocker instead and it actually starts out quite oddly enough in a very similar way to it's only a northern song with a real uh screeching dirtily kind of distorted electronic guitar sound and it does build up in this very exciting way and then it turns into more of say a junior's farm big barn bed kind of lolloping pot boiler and it does feel like classic McCartney in that way it does feel like something he could have played 20 years ago and again I mean that in the best possible way this is a very nostalgic you know reflexive album it's a mode that Paul would happily slip into any time and in all fairness, the chorus is something that I wouldn't mind hearing live, you know, if this set list from New York last last night sent in by that wonderful Twitter fan, thank you Colin, is anything to go by, then yeah, I might actually be hearing it live at the O2 on December 16th, whoop whoop, and it, it is something that I could see myself bopping to rather happily. It's definitely a song I'm sure Paul knew he could write. And something I know that he knows he could have whipped up any old time. But it's done with enough life and enough energy and produced with that, again, that real masterful diamond quality production to help lift it above the fact that it is, again, kind of like Come On To Me, just another kind of generic McCartney late period rocker. As a Paul McCartney fan, this is that kind of rocker that does appeal to me and... And it's great to hear Paul's voice be pushed to the limit at 76. Like, you can really tell he's going for it. And you can really tell that he's trying to show that he's really still capable of getting you stirred and getting you excited and getting full of that energy at this point in his career. And he does it, and it's quite masterfully... And it's quite a sight to behold, or to hear, should I say. 
The riff and the guitar sound also kind of harkens back to that Ram sound. I, there were moments where I was definitely getting vibes of Ease At Home when listening to this song as well. But all in all, this is one of those McCartney tracks where there is a chorus that is just undeniable. Uh, he knows how to write a motherfucking chorus. This guy does now. Again, as well, Who Cares features some incredibly funky, almost like mid-70s period McCartney bass, which I did find myself going back just to specifically listen to. And, it, you know, it might not be one of the best songs on the album, per se. It is definitely one that is going to work with the crowd, with the live audience, and they're going to lap it up. And I'm going to lap it up. So whilst it may be a little bit broad, a little bit cheesy, and a little bit reliant on McCartney conventions, it, it just ticks all the boxes of what the people want at this point. Also, big shout out to the band. Their vocals give a great sense of inclusiveness into the song. Like you, you wouldn't want to join in in that big McCartney chant. You want to picture yourself there with the crowd. And also, just the guitar work as well. Like Just the band together as a unit really feel... Like, they are just this perfect McCartney organism. You know, Paul has been playing with this band now double the amount of time he was ever playing with the Beatles. And that really shows off. They are able to channel what is Paul with just, with this basic instinct. You know, they, they know where Paul is going to go then. And Paul, and likewise, Paul knows best how to get the, and likewise, Paul knows how to get the best out of these musicians. For you... So yeah, this is the third song that we actually covered already on the show. We did a, a little brief episode where we covered Fur You and all of the tracks that were leading up to Egypt Station was part of the hype. And this is actually one that I liked pretty much from the get-go, but also at that point I had already kind of uh, adjusted my expectations as to what Egypt Station was going to be. So perhaps maybe at that time I was a little bit overhyped and over eager for Egypt Station to be something good but like I said I've had a little bit more time to, to digest the material and every time Fur You has come on during my listenings of Egypt Station never once have I had even the slightest thought in my head to skip it it is a track that you know coming you know it comes in hot after the great momentum from Who Cares and it's just instantly likeable it's instantly fun and it's just the exact kind of song that I want Paul McCartney to be making at this point in his career. The song really on paper has no right to be as good as it is at all and you know yeah even when I, I first heard it I could feel myself trying to dislike it because of that kind of silly uh, popsicle stick pop sound that kind of opens the song but as it progresses and changes and moves just like so many of the songs on Egypt Station that kind of start in point A and end in point B like a, a train moving across the tracks like we said before third you just become something so it, such a typical example of the kind of cheesy pop that I secretly kind of like Paul to do Things like New, where we have quite a few serious songs and a few serious rockers that kind of felt a bit out of place, I do feel like Paul is taking Egypt Station with a greater pinch of salt and a little bit more irony and a little bit more self-awareness. Not only the self-awareness that we've seen being displayed in the lyrics and the lyricism and the kind of pulling back of the curtain that we have seen in certain songs and we're going to see in further songs down the road, but a self-awareness where Paul knows he's Paul McCartney. He knows what he is. He kind of seems to be a bit more aware of the types of songs that he seems to write. Obviously, he he's known the types of songs that he's written all the, all the, all the way back since 1976 with City Love Songs and stuff like that. But again, he's kind of displaying that here. And he's created Fur You, like we discussed before, a song that we thought would be a very 
a prototypical McCartney love song, and yet he turned all of that on its head. Uh, it's very much the anti-McCartney song instead of following those silly love song inflections. It's it, it's going straight for the gut, it's going straight for the throat and other parts of the body. Actually, this is a very sexually overt McCartney song, at least for a McCartney song. And the major point that I didn't bring up when we discussed this song the last time, and it actually reminds me of something that Paul Denoyer said when we had him on the show, and it's just that we should kind of take stock and a second just to appreciate just how fantabulously weird Paul's music is in general, and especially with a song like Fur You that, that is playing on major radio stations across the country, or at least it was, especially when it was just first released, and... It's just so psychedelic and weird, and you really quite, uh, and you really don't notice how otherworldly it is. It's almost like the McCartney version of the music to "I Am the Walrus." Like it's still, you know, still safe within the convention of pop music, but it really makes that effort to slightly alter and twist everything just enough in that very McCartney-esque way to make it unlike anything else on the radio at the moment, and that's very McCartney. You know, it's complete with wonderfully silly combinations of warped voices, audio manipulation and loops all going on in the background, along with this very rural Britannia formal orchestral backing that kind of gives it that undercurrent of reassuringly steady pop. And again, all of this just plays into that backwards-looking nostalgia, Beatles, Wings, Gasm that is Egypt Station. This isn't going to be the first or last time that we are referencing Paul's past in this way. Admittedly, as trite as it sounds, though, I actually found it quite refreshing to see McCartney, or sorry, to hear McCartney so successfully adopt modern pop sensibilities within this song. Uh, Egypt Station is full of Paul, you know, adopting modern pop standards in one way or another. Not like fully embracing them, you know, he's not gonna, he's not doing hip hop or anything, but. Working with Greg Kirsten in the way he has, um, clearly McCartney trusts this man's opinion, and he and he takes some risks. And I think a lot of this weirdness can be put down to the fact that this was the only song on the album not actually produced by Greg Adele Kirsten. You would have thought so, you know, the, the, the song does have that steady pop hand, and that's because it's actually the producer and lead vocalist of One Republic, uh, Ryan Tedder who produced this song, and perhaps Paul using a different producer for this track, along with its very cheeky premise, uh, allowed him to take some risks, take some chances that maybe Greg wouldn't have done. I'm not saying Greg Kirsten producing this song would have made it worse or better, I'm just saying it wouldn't have been the same song. And it is a wonderfully different track on Egypt Station, it doesn't quite fit the mould of a lot of the songs on there, and it does stand out as something very, very vibrant and very fun and very interesting. So well done Ryan Tedder for that. The chorus is as catchy as it is cheeky, though in fact it may be the first Mac of course that I actually won't be singing on the bus in public. Though I must admit, it's actually the chorus, you know, the kind of come on baby now, boop 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 a doo shtick that I find myself mumbling to myself most often. Admittedly as trite as it sounds, I actually found it quite refreshing to have McCartney so successfully adopt modern pop sensibilities within this song. You know, he does it all across Egypt Station, it's a very 2018 album, but it all still feels very McCartney like we said before, and Fur You is a simple verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, affair, but it's the execution and the stellar production, shout out Ryan Tedder again, helps Macca bring these little ditties that could have existed 40 years ago and just effortlessly make them feel very contemporary. I think the shock of the song has worn off now, the controversy didn't uh, snowball out of control into something very awkward like I 
like I hoped it would. Uh, I guess people are a little bit more aware of McCartney's wily ways or maybe changes in society mean that people actually aren't offended by a song with the words for you. Maybe more people were just offended by the song itself than the lyrics. But if you take all of that away, what we're left with is still a really cute little pop song that somehow, despite its, you know, that overtly sexual message, you know, despite that, you know, obviously sexual message, still comes across as really sweet and wholesome. Like, I love how in interviews and shit, Paul has been saying, oh, you know, the lyrics are really just, I want it for you. And it just kind of came came out the wrong way and everyone got the, got the wrong end of the stick. Well done, Paul. Play it dumb and just purely get away with a song that on major radio stations shouts out, I just want to fuck you, LOL. As we said on our little bonus episode of Fur You, it still feels as if Paul was directly trying to not be controversial. Not to avoid controversy's sake, but just to subvert our expectations of what a Paul McCartney song would be. And again, this isn't Paul McCartney poetry, this is Paul wanting just to fuck someone. And it's just so non-Paul, and that's why I find it so immediately interesting. Because, you know, the, you know, the sound is classic lovey Paul, but the lyricism's just so not what I'm expecting to hear and the lyricism is just so not what I expect to hear especially from a 76 year old Paul uh, I, I just can't resist that really and I just can't resist that like it this song is just proof that you can McCartneyify anything and suddenly it's a lot more family friendly so you know I guess for you may have opened doors for Maka to tackle domestic abuse and female genital mutilation on the next album looking forward to that confidant so when I first listened to this song on my train back from Stafford, I kind of reflexively put it on to my top four worst songs from Egypt Station. And I know that sounds a little bit harsh at first, but I must preface that statement by, again, saying that there is nothing bad on this album, just different shades of Paul, 50 shades of Paul, and this is one that just didn't connect with me as much at first. Just like many great Paul McCartney songs didn't connect with me at first. Songs like You Gave Me The Answer or What's That You're Doing. I'm not saying Confidante or Confidantes even in remote, you know, remotely in that league, but it's a song that has kind of, you know, I've... I've softened my edges towards it, shall we say. It is, for all intents and purposes, a proper Paul McCartney acoustic ballad, but in the camp of strummy campfire bedroom style numbers, as opposed to that kind of picky folksy style that we, we see in songs like Happy With You. And unfortunately for Confidant, I am much more of a, of a fan of that picky folksy style of Paul. And this track simply exists as one that... I know that it's made for other types of McCartney fans other than myself. Musically, it might be the most middle-of-the-road, most uninteresting, dare I say it, thing that we're going to be covering here today. Like, it's not offensively bad or anything, but it's just a style that I know that McCartney loves to write, and I've heard it several times before, and even those times it never really interested me either. Egypt Station's an album full of interesting Paul McCartney song concepts, and this one just really isn't, and it strays closer to the ever closer to the dangerous waters of songs that he could kind of write in his sleep, making it feel just like another heartfelt ballad to enter the already stuffed hall of heartfelt ballads from Paul. When I listen to it, I do get into the groove of it somewhat in the moment of it all, but once it's over, its immediate forgetfulness becomes very apparent as all I can remember is the lyrics. That is because, conversely, lyrically, it is one of the most stylized and imaginative songs on the album. Again, this is true to McCartney form, when he can only tend to focus on one or the other from time to time. The lyrics here catalogue the history of Paul with an unnamed person, male or female, that was his confidant, 
who used to stand beside him as he fought. And at first I was thinking, is this Linda? But then he mentions falling out of love with that person. So maybe it's like Denny Lane, as some people have mentioned on the Twitter. But regardless, it was still a, a fantastic rumination on the positive aspects of a relationship, even though it had long since finished. And whilst I suspected somewhere along the line that it was all misdirections and red herrings, it wasn't, uh, the truth wasn't nearly what I thought it might have been. It could have just been that, you know, these were lyrics that Paul just liked and they really didn't have much meaning at all outside of that kind of surface level. But in that very McCartney-esque way with songs like Martha, My Dear and uh, Jet, Paul actually reveals to us, Paul has actually revealed in a couple of interviews now that the confidant in this song was actually his childhood guitar, thus making the line, my underneath the staircase friend, which I remember really resonated with me the first time I heard it, but it almost makes that line make a little too much logical sense. I actually like the image of Paul hiding under the stairs with a person in a kind of Harry Potter-esque way, rather than just storing a guitar underneath the stairs. And then you have to ask things like, like when did Paul fall out of love with a guitar? Like, is him playing the guitar on this song a way of him making amends for his long-standing love affair with the piano? Um, the other lyric, actually, that's really um, interested me, will actually be the trippiest imagery we see displayed on the entire album uh, when you hear the following. In your reflected glory eye could dream of shining far-off lands where serpents turned to bits of string and played like kittens in my hand. In our imaginary world where butterflies wear army boots and stomp around the forest chanting lost, long, lost anthems, long, lost anthems. And I have no idea what any of that is supposed to mean. I'm sure that I will go into some overly analytical in-depth analyses on the official Egypt Station two-parter episode where we get to go into things with a little more detail. But this imagery, despite the fact that I, I didn't really understand what was going on or why, it just felt right in that kind of steady-handed McCartney way whereby... You know, throughout his whole career, lyrics have rarely mattered, and it's just that uh, sonic aural quality that gives that song a little bit of... That, that gives the song the life of its own. See, Monkberry Moon Delight. And whilst it might all just come down to the fact that it, 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 it just means his guitar allowed him to experience new things and new worlds, and he's, you know, not that imaginative at all, just the, the images that were conjured in my mind the first time I was actually listening to this song and really paying attention to it, really was quite evocative for me and I, I, I did have these very clear pictures in my mind and it was it was very interesting just to, to hear Paul going into this kind of lyric to hear Paul going into this kind of lyricism in his more modern family friendly kind of mode like I'm not saying like this isn't like take drugs talk or anything but it's it's definitely kind of like this is a bit psychedelic we do have a classic Paul McCartney cameo of the Paul McCartney solo where it's just the melody but done again in a slightly different pitch, key or speed. But as you know, I've never really had a problem with that. That was more my friend Tom. And the cool thing is that he he does this generic melody line again, but he follows it up with this gorgeous little harpsichord in the background that just really sells it for me. Like many of the songs that may have grated me a little bit if they had that kind of expected McCartney indulgence, Confidant is actually short, sweet, and doesn't outstay its welcome at all. Compared to a lot of the other stuff on Egypt Station, it's hard for Confidant to not feel a little bit throwaway, a little bit forgetful, just another acoustic ballad, uh, another love song amongst all the other ones. Um, it doesn't hold up against things like Hand in Hand or Happy With You or even Domino, so it's easy to see why this one probably probably won't be played live, played on the radio, or even 
be a massive part of the McCartney conversation. People want peace! Now, the problem that I have with People Want Peace is nothing to do with the actual song itself. Let's rewind. So, I'd just broken my promise to myself to first listen to the album on vinyl. I was sat by a huge water mill by a canal. I'd just listened to Opening Station and I was ready to fucking go. I was there, I was aboard the train heading for or out of Egypt Station, and then I heard this very dramatic, very stylized, very echoey drum roll in this empty space. And then this immediately peppy McCartney-esque piano comes storming in, and it's accompanied by all these lyrics where Paul almost sounds like as if he's addressing the audience directly. He's directing, you know, towards you, the listener. This is the very first thing that he wants you to take away from this album. And he says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing before you with something important to say. With some trepidation, I crave your attention, but I'm not going to let anything get in my way. The message is simple and it's straight from the heart, and I know you've heard it before. But what does it matter? We're in it together, and I'm not quitting while people are crying for more. And at this point, bearing in mind that I haven't actually looked down at my screen, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm still on opening station or not. You know, this could still be the first song. And I'm like, oh shit, Paul's actually getting real with this one. He's addressing the critics of why this 76-year-old codger is making an album like this in the first place. And he's going right for the fucking balls this time. I was really excited. I was thinking, wow, Paul, Paul's really getting getting quite meta with this. You know, he, he really knows himself. And, and I was very interested in seeing where it was going to go. And then, you know, you start to hear him sing People Want Peace. And then I was suddenly a little befuddled. Then I was confused, and then the ball dropped. Hang on, wasn't I Don't Know supposed to be the first song? So I checked my machine, and yeah, there it is. I had shuffle on the whole time, and this little experience that I'd had with the album and my own meta-textual breakdown and interpretation of what was going on was all wrong and just the ramblings of an idiot inside his own head. Though, upon reflection, I do kind of wish that the song didn't go straight for the generic rendition of a peace anthem and had instead gone in the direction that I'd made up and concocted in my own head. Basically, this song is the Star Wars The Last Jedi of Egypt Station. Perhaps that is why I had slightly less patience when I actually finally got around to People Want Peace in its proper order in the right place on the album once I'd gone through. I mean, the first thing I thought of and anyone who knows how McCartney's live shows work will have spotted the same thing, and that this song will eventually be one big obvious transition into Macca and the band's you know, crowd-rousing rendition of Give Peace a Chance. Go to the bit where it's just the drums and the, and the chant of people saying we want peace, and tell me that wouldn't transition and blend perfectly into one another. Since having cooled down a bit from my own disappointment, that is this song, or at least the first verse of the song, and the fact that it's not the first song on the album, I have been able to enjoy People Want Peace a little more for what it is, which is just Maka once again capturing the spirit of the 60s and 70s and trying to somewhat reinterpret it for a modern audience. It very purposely echoes those peace anthems and love songs from their era in a way that only works towards the album's very classical retro Macca experience. And again, in that very kind of Venus and Marsy way where, you know, the song is probably done better live with a crowd, with an atmosphere, rather than as a singular album experience. <clears throat> there really isn't too much to say about this one for me, really. As so much more so than any other track on this album, the song kind of once it establishes where it's going to go, ends up going nowhere. It's, it is one of those unfortunate McCartney songs where he doesn't really give us anything new at the end. It does have, 
you know, the charm and uh, kind of quirky novelty of, you know, oh, it's, you know, cool to hear Paul do a kind of 70s peace song again. But if I'm being, you know, totally honest, a couple of seconds after Paul starts singing, the music really doesn't interest me all that much. You know, we get no solos or counter melodies or ascensions or dissensions in, in the bass line. Uh, lyrically, it's very run-of-the-mill Paul. You know, all the words he uses are words that you would immediately expect for him to rhyme with. I'm sure that if I was ever to redo my top 20 cheesiest Paul McCartney rhyming couplets, that this song would definitely make at least a cameo appearance. Yeah, war is bad. People want peace. Nothing new there. Oh, and there's a real lyrical stretch when it says people want peace to a simple release from their suffering. Like, it feels uber clunky for me at that moment. Okay, um, whilst I'm ultimately uneasy about officially crowning this track as true filler, as one of the duds of Egypt Station, you know, I can say for certain that it is the type of song that was always going to be on here, and you can tell that this is more for Paul, this is what he digs, and he really doesn't care what audiences or critics say, this is just something that gets him going. It might be, unfortunately though, the dullest track on the album. Sorry. Hand in hand! The next up on Egypt Station is one that is thankfully a little more serious and tonally different from the last two tracks, because too much pep would just oversaturate this album, and thankfully we have the suitably sombre Hand in Hand to fulfil that role. Again, another song that I wasn't too much of a fan of to start with, but there was something that kept bringing me back to it time and time again, and what I think that was was the fact that this is a song not only written and performed by a 76-year-old Paul McCartney, but because it's actually sung that way. The subject of Paul's voice in recent years has been a source of constant debate here on the show, and I'm constantly hearing every day, even at work, literally just my, on, on my last shift on discussing Paul with a random guest, they said how bad his voice was. This is still part of the public uh, kind of conversation around Paul, and it'll probably follow him till the day that he hangs up his hat for good. And it focuses around his ever more limited range and the fact that he doesn't change his key to fit his voice. Maybe he should write songs that are more appropriate for his voice now. And while this ain't exactly that, this is as close as we probably ever damn will get. Because Paul's voice here is A, arguably the standout element of the song, just for how different and unique it is, and B, really fucking touching. Like, the fragility that Paul shows us in this song, the frailty, the strain, the husky, hushed tones are just so unlike anything that Paul has ever really commonly portrayed. People seem to think that Paul is unaware as to how he sounds and that he's kind of forcing his voice onto us into places that he really shouldn't, but here, us super fans get the honest song that we've kind of always wanted, really, even if you didn't know it. I guess Paul adopting this quote-unquote suitable voice for this song, for this album, and then not to use it anywhere else on the album is, is you know, a kind of a, a nod and a wink to the fact that he can sing like this and he could do this kind of album this way to fabulous effect, but in the end, he'd still rather sing Come On To Me. The song itself starts off with this very, very solemn, very reflexive atmosphere whereby you can almost see the forlorn black and white flashbacks and we have this familiar, serious, stern piano lick that doesn't sound too dissimilar from the tones we heard in I Don't Know. But unlike I Don't Know, it doesn't stray after being too tempted by 
poppier sensibilities and it instead remains one of the most reserved and temper tracks on the entire album. It's not a silly love song, gosh darn it, it's a straight up love song and it does exactly what you expect it to do with all the sincerity of any other in Paul's extensive songbook. It's less about young love and is very much a song about older love in stark contrast to the sexual content on the rest of this album. This song instead is a lot more about companionship, true love and quote-unquote finding peace. All of these are staple Macca tropes but to hear it being done by a very self-aware older McCartney does have a certain built-in resonance and weight to it like he's lived through all of it and has lived out a lot of these scenarios and is now very confident about what he wants and that is simply to be hand in hand with the one that he loves. To me this was more than the obligatory Nancy Chevelle song which others kind of have tended to be and which this kind of is, but not in an obnoxious way or anything. And it's still clear that Paul's most interesting work and his most touching songwriting is still coming out of the inspiration that the major women in his life gift to him. This is another one of the songs on this album that are written in such a way that the hipster McCartney fan like myself is just kind of impervious to its advances, really. Again, we have this long sought-after self-reflectiveness on the part of Paul. We have a song that is earnest and it just isn't another silly love song we have these unique vocals that help guide and further the story of the song and most of all we have this genuinely gorgeous little melody that reminds me of uh, some some of the cheesy elements of Paul's uh, career like warm and beautiful and summer's day song especially during that part where it's like gonna take you to another level you and me which you know is clunky as fuck and Macca just somehow makes it work it's it's very classically Paul and it's one of those uh, compositions where the, where you wonder whether it, did he have this in a drawer for ten years like Woody Allen, or only now through Nancy has he has he found the strength to sing this way and write songs this way. It's a very interesting little conundrum. Perhaps we'll know more by the time the full episode comes out. And if I talk about the melody, I have to talk about the pan flute because the pan flute in this song is fucking fire. You really don't need me to tell you, just listen to it, like fuck me, is that shit really beautiful? It gives the song a really timeless quality which sells the romantic element effortlessly. Then the song actually ends dramatically quickly actually and it, it clocks in probably only around 2 minutes 30 seconds, something like that. And I was honestly shocked at how little he milked this melody, how little he squeezed the teat. Uh, as we'll see with other tracks on this album. When Paul ends a song short, it only ever seems to work in his favour, really. Oh, and just the way that it ends with that lovely single ringing piano note that just strikes at your heartstrings one last time before it closes is just so affecting. I love it. Whilst the content of Hand in Hand is really nothing that we haven't heard before, its delivery and its unique tone is one that more than makes it a worthwhile addition to McCartney's career and to Egypt Station. And it's just reassuring that Paul can still wind things down every once in a while and still deliver a heartfelt song to hit you right in the gut when it counts. Dominoes! Okay, so Dominoes was, again, another one of these tracks that I kind of wrote off on my initial run through Egypt Station. It seems to be just that kind of chunk of the album that seemed to be flagging with me, the kind of middle, later chunk. But wow, was I wrong to fuck with this song? Well... Firstly, it was clear when I expressed some of my initial kind of negative reviews for this track, the Twitter community, that's at McCartney Pod, if you don't follow us already, they all fled up and immediately said that Domino's was one of the best songs on the album and that I was wrong. And whilst I wouldn't 
go that far. I would be so bold as to say that Domino's Whilst Not Being One of the Best Songs on the album may just be, in fact, one of my hidden sleeper favourites. Domino's just does it for me. And no, that's not a shameful, hacky promo for a pizza chain. No, Domino's is on a constant rotation with me, and I can foresee that in the long-distant future, really. You know, it's just the fact that it's a fun song to bop along to whilst I cycle to work only helps in its favour. But yeah, I didn't know it at first, I didn't see it, but this is clearly Paul McCartney firing on all cylinders and is everything that Egypt Station is and was trying to be and should have been. You know, I can't help but feel a little cunty when I say this, but I'm not sure how I would phrase it to Paul himself if he was a human sapped opposite me, like face to face, but in the Egypt Station way, this isn't anything particularly new. Uh, this is a, an, another very nostalgic song and of course it does feel very McCartney. However, despite the negative sound of that statement, the key difference with Domino's and other great songs on this album is that it's that classic McCartney, stereotypical McCartney, done exceedingly well, done delightfully well and done earnestly, so sometimes even shockingly well in spots. Domino's is a target demographic song done incomparably. I remember when I was first reviewing For You and I said I can imagine that song would actually play on the radio. With Domino's I feel much more of a feeling that this will be a song that will be a hit purely with the fans. He gives us what we would want and there's no looking back. Lyrically it's it's a very bog standard romp, very par for the course, but it's fun enough to sing along to, especially with that little call and answer hook that it's got going on. I'm not even sure if the song is actually about anything, and instead it feels like a collection of kind of non-sequitur feel-good hooks and licks and quips that all could have come from a thousand half-finished songs in Paul's bottom sock drawer. It feels like a song with, you know, a purpose though. That it, it, it is still kind of building towards something. It's, it's definitely uh, a song that is more about beat and feeling and that sense of driving forward, making it a very Egypt Station song. Almost like there isn't any time to like slow down and think about things too deeply, which is also very classic Paul when you think about it. Like a lot of the songs on the album, much of the generic McCartneyisms that reside within this song, whether because of the production, execution, or you know basic look, it it, it just works for me and it doesn't bother me. Paul's voice is another pleasure in this song, as his almost uh, whisper with this track works very well for the aging rocker and in the way that Yellow Submarine was written for Ringo's range this song features a similar ploy but to a much lesser degree than something like Hand in Hand. Though I do wonder if I would be as genuinely enamoured or whether I would have given it its fair due say if this song appeared on something like Memory Almost Full or even New but it is rather impossible for me to take some of these songs outside of the context of Egypt Station as the whole package just feels so whole and complete to me. The more I think about it though, the harder I find to actually pinpoint what it is specifically so much about Domino's that I like so much and importantly, what kind of song it even is to begin with. Like it, it, it is this real chug-a-lug of a song and its pace really fits uh, you know, the idea of a heaving hunk of metal steam barreling over the horizon. It's got these pounding marching drums that seem to tap into my binaural network. I guess Maca Epic might be the best way to describe the song as it just has this wondrous scope in its simplicity. And it really does show no signs of stopping, which is why it is such a shock when it finishes as abruptly as it does. It's like, oh, 
easily the best part of the song though and the part that I do most look forward to every time that I pop it on is the final couple of minutes where it just descends into this muck chaotic level of what I'm going to call nostalgically safe yet indisputably cool experimentation. It begins by shifting the beat into an almost sitar-like sound that shifts into this very rose-tinted revolver-esque backwards guitar solo so we're really harkening back to the the real big hits of the Beatle era now and you just uh, expose this hypnotic riff that makes you feel like you're descending into this PG-approved drug-fueled dream that's almost thrown on as this kind of unexpected bonus ending movement and it's just some of the coolest shit that McCartney's put out in ages even if it does pander to my inner fanboy like Darth Vader's appearance at the end of Rogue One or something. So yeah, Domino's. A fun board game, mediocre pizza that has given me food poisoning on at least two separate occasions, and now a catchy bop and Paul McCartney song that I cannot help but feel that somehow is going to be this sleeper classic hit. We've really just got to wait and see where the chips land with that one and, you know, see where the Macca fandom places it on its plinth. But yeah, I highly recommend this one. Back in Brazil, following on from the extremely trippy and beguiling outro for Domino's, we suddenly come to a clearing. The music suddenly becomes a very serene moment indeed, evoking the tranquil opening sounds from the opening station. Birds begin to chirp peacefully. There is a sense of shifting from one space to another. The here and then. The here and now. We hear this distant, discordant accordion slash harmonium chords ringing out over the distance. It's beautiful. I, I see sun. And Paul is preparing us for something. And based on the title, I kind of assumed that it was going to be another form of experimentation with world music from Paul, as the music of Brazil is very energetic and evocative and exotic. And whilst the general vibe of the track is certainly one that evokes Latin American rhythms, once again, Paul is going to decidedly deliver us something really unexpected, for this is Back in Brazil. Yep, this is the song that on paper was supposed to be the new San Ferry Anne, and fuck me, it turns out instead that this is actually the closest we get on this album to something like from McCartney to Fireman type Macca. Yes, Macca once again seems to be messing with me personally as he manages to upset me by removing an interesting world music track instead by replacing it with a track that I'm way more happy to hear. And whilst I'm not saying the album is exactly analogue or anything, there has been this emphasis on piano and guitar. Uh, so to have Macca sat behind the keyboard synthesizer is a welcome return in my books any day. Of course, I would dig the strangest song on this album. It was always going to pan out that way. You've got awesomely silly synthy sounds, these little nonsensical loops going on in the background. You've got McCartney doing his little scatty jazz bops in the background as well. You've got these really catchy drum beats that almost feels like a Ricky Martin song in some places from, from the 90s. But yeah, this is another one of those songs that I did not expect a 76-year-old Macca to be singing, writing or producing. Another odd aspect of the song are these little breakdowns where Paul and the band crowd Ichiban, Ichiban, which is actually Japanese, not Portuguese, the native language of Brazil, which again is Paul being weird for the sake of it. And perhaps this is a kind of reference to the Japanese bust of 1980 and the fact that that happened around McCartney too. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Uh, maybe he's just got his wires crossed and they just ran with it. Either way, it sounds really cool. Regardless, it's this kind of fuck it, let's just roll with it spontaneous unpredictability that makes the song as enjoyable of an experience as it is. 
In all honesty, I would have been happy if the song had been just simple verse, chorus, verse outings, but just because of how much I dig the groove, I'm so glad it decided to take a few risky, unexpected turns. Also, if that wasn't already wickedly enough for all you fans of weird, we shift into these slickly cool instrumental segments where we are treated to these tinny little percussion elements, uh, these little like xylophonic moments, uh, and this gorgeous low-key oboe solo that will just blow your fucking nuts off. Or breasts, or whatever you prefer. Oboe really isn't an instrument that I normally associate with Maka though, so to hear his groovy take on it was a treat indeed. Like Caesar Rock and Happy With You, all the songs on Egypt Station that I'm the biggest fans of are all songs that do not outstay their welcome and are lacking that kind of typical Macca self-indulgence. I'm not sure if this is because of that or just a coincidence, but the fact that Macca leaves me wanting more is not something that I can ever deride him for. The ending, however, unlike the other two tracks, does not feel as natural. It feels a little bit rushed and a little like it comes out of nowhere, almost like they didn't really decide on a final way to end it, like there were multiple ways to end it and they, and they just picked to not end it. As we jump from the young couple dating to them kind of like raising a family and like they, they, they have kids now and there's a sunset and it all feels very final and I felt like it was gonna give us one more verse to bridge that kind of would have filled in the gap. Uh, it's almost like a bit of a, a leap in logic for all of its charms. But, you know, it, 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 it does feel a little bit tacked on, uh, a little bit too nicely wrapped up in a little bit of a neat bow. Maybe like it's a, kind of like a, a response to things like Teddy Boy, like, oh, Paul, you didn't finish Teddy Boy. Oh, well, if you don't like me not finishing songs, I'll just put a really poor ending on the end. And I'm not saying that that takes away from the song. I love the track. I play it every day. I'm already singing it to myself right now, the, the moment this recording is finished. Um, but that... I, would just wish, I just wish the ending was tweaked just slightly. But I must say, the happy memory I have listening to this song whilst I was cycling along beside the West Midlands canals on a wonderful sunny day is just so vivid in my mind that I know my affection for this kooky little number is going to be endless. I'm always going to be talking about Back in Brazil as, well, as one of the best songs from Egypt Station. You just see if I don't. Do it now! So we've already spoken extensively about how this album is very self-aware and that it takes advantage of the concept of an aging Paul McCartney to great effect and arguably there is no song that exploits this more than Do It Now which stands proud as one of the, of the emotive cores of the entire album as Macca lays bare his ambitions to seize the day whilst he still is able to. Egypt Station has been travelling from destination to destination for quite some time now and this is the first time where that momentum has the brakes put on. Overall, it's much more of a solemn, dour affair than what we've seen on the rest of the album. And the atmosphere is one that is brought to an almost icy standstill. In a good way, though. It's almost like Maka has asked for the train to come to a complete halt so we can take more of a serious look at the horizon and digest it properly. And it's a pretty stark message, especially for a McCartney song. Indeed, it's not very often that we have McCartney being so open about the inner workings of his mind. Already we've had thoughts of his past, thoughts of the future, of love and sex, and now we have Macca pondering his own demise. I don't know as a certainly refreshing take of this geriatric pensioner Paul, but this one honestly just feels like it's approaching the, the, the material a little more seriously. 
This song, whilst primarily existing in this aging Macca mindset, also reminds me of the freedom epic genre of Macca's songwriting book, songs like Bluebird or Wonderlust or Tug of War, where he's seeking the, the ultimate escapism, the ultimate freedom to live his life how he wishes to live. And here, rather than a physical barrier to his freedom, he's now battling time itself. The stakes are much higher and the aging process is an obstacle to stop him from making music and playing shows being the man who's quoted as saying he'll be wheeled out until he's 80. This makes this a very palpable and realistic issue, especially for the devoted Paul McCartney fanbase as well. Paul makes his time on Earth feel very finite, and the end seems to loom ever closer across the whole track, which is a strange, strange tone to go for indeed. And yet, despite this, the song is undeniably uplifting in its overall outlook and application of its ideals. Whichever way you kind of look uh, at who the singer is addressing, either us, the audience, or himself, Paul tells us that the best way to live your life is to the fullest, is to grab it by its fucking cojones, and to do things now. Like, yeah, the title is a little on the nose, come to think of it, but the message does feel real, and it does feel sincere. And to hear Paul ruminating on his own demise at the ripe old age of 76... Sorry, I've really got to stop mentioning his age. I promised I wouldn't do that. But that's just such a surefire way to drum up a, an explosively emotive response from us, the audience. And that's exactly what I had. The fact that the song isn't all morose sadness, and it is propped up by that trademark McCartney whimsy in the tone of a Spielberg film, is actually the song saving grace, because when Paul does bring us so low with thoughts of not fulfilling your potential, wasted life, death, etc, etc, it makes the uplifting moments seem all the more powerful. This is definitely one of the better crafted and more finely executed songs in terms of its concept on the entire album, even if it isn't the most musically wowing I'm not sure if this is a product of how Paul creates his songs or because of how long his band have been playing with him, but the backing vocals in this song feel very feel of a very high quality indeed and remind me of a kind of hauntingly similar feel to uh, The Wings backing vocals, especially from things like Back to the Egg, and it creates a very unique mood on the album indeed. There is this sense that Paul is using his live band because they are the band that he's been playing with for the longest. They've been aging with him, they've been help uplift him and carry him through his golden years. They are helping him do it now. And the emotion of all of them being in the studio there is very, very present. Unfortunately, the thing that stops this song from being a real runaway success is the fact that it suffers from a condition that has played his writing since McCartney won in 1970. And that is the song just kind of goes nowhere. He Again, he sets up this great playground of ideas, these really visually dynamic concepts and these and these really good themes you know do it now it's really easy to grasp onto and to understand and then rather than drawing it to some sort of conclusion either whereby i don't know we we see a future mac who has failed to do it now or a triumphant one who went all carpe diem and shit you know like a proper story but instead like oh so many songs on egypt station paul instead simply relies on simply singing the first verse and the chorus again to bring us to a nice little neat bow close Paul is so brave in other areas on this album and even on this song that when he kind of wusses out here, it does disproportionately irk me somewhat. But seriously, this song is definitely worth still checking out. Go. Do it now. Caesar Rock, an early favourite of mine and one that I'm at genuine risk of overplaying because wow we we have not seen McCartney's deaf use of repetition like this since McCartney 2 or even Red Rose Speedway. 
Damn, this song is catchy. Like, really catchy. Fucking malaria catchy. Caesar Rock is the song on the album, not Who Cares, that shows us that McCartney has still got some iron hard huevos between his legs and knows how to rock it out with the best of them, channeling some of his hardest material in, well, forever really. Caesar Rock, whilst allowing McCartney to strut and posture about in that cocksure way that he does, rather pleasantly surprisingly shows us what can still be done with the classic McCartney formula. Now, it was actually the title of this song that led me to believe that this would be the track on Egypt Station that would be about Trump, you know, Caesar, the power-mad emperor, etc, etc. And yet it turns out that Caesar Rock is actually an intentionally ill-worded, ill-pronounced version of the song's real, actual hook, She's a Rock. Like, you know, an emotional rock. Now, I'm not sure if this was Macca intentionally trolling me personally, but it seems that Paul is still having fun messing with his audience on some level. Or maybe it was just some kind of pronunciation slip that randomly happened in the studio and Paul just liked it that way. Who knows? But I can I can kind of get the feeling that this is a, a song that Paul and Greg Kirsten really had a lot of fun working around with in the studio. I find this to be a song that isn't just an overblown jam session or anything and does feel like something that did naturally evolve from just something as simple as just saying she's a rock over and over again into the formidable beast that it is today. And the deception uh, on the part of Maka does not stop there either, as this song really tries to lead you astray like some evil fairytale witch from the very get-go, as the first few beats actually trick you into thinking you're about to listen to a completely different kind of Paul McCartney song. There's these very spontaneously energetic little drum rolls, and then it starts to do this old one-two-one-two, and it sounds like it's going to be this big old pot-boiler rocker, something, dare I say, a little more on the generic side, and then out of nowhere, the song shifts gears completely, and it does it painfully and discordantly, and it morphs into something much more rhythmic, much more oddball, that sounds initially uh, as foreboding as it does exciting. I mean, after Back in Brazil, I was really up for anything by this point, and then to go into this full-on hard pensioner psychedelia rock and roll was just a pure joy for me. It was something fresh for the album, something with a little more edge and panache, and it was uniquely harsh as well as hypnotic, making these soundscapes uh, very enlivening, especially this far into the album. It is here that once again we are in, uh, brought back to the classic aforementioned psychedelia of backwards tracking guitar sounds. Once again we're going back to the classic revolver days, and again, it's just another Easter egg for the fans that works well within this song. It really does. I guess Paul could have done backwards guitar on all of his albums since this time, and none of them would have worked, and at least with the two songs on this album, they kind of feel like they were built to accommodate them somewhat. Now, I know the words grand and epic are thrown around on this show a lot, so bear me with me two seconds while I check a thesaurus online. Okay, this song is so fucking extraordinarily Herculean, and that's not hyperbole either. The sheer amount of ground, both conceptually and compositionally, that is covered is truly amazing, as the song attempts and succeeds in combining so many disparate elements and moments, and makes something truly very gratifying. It's surprisingly heavy for a song whose main composition is actually the, the acoustic guitar and fucking claves of all things, but Paul with his masterful control of the percussion and backing vocals creates this real wall of sonic badassery that really warrants a few run-throughs to appreciate. Though that is not to say that there is no electronic guitar on this song, quite the contrary, Paul throws it in pretty much 
for the entirety of the actual track, but never in an intrusive manner, being much more of an atmospheric piece of the composition. Right up until the decidedly ripping mini guitar solo that just puts the you know most unsigned youngins to shame. Uh, yep, yeah, again, same as the rest of the album, Greg Kurtzman blows it out of the park and just allows Paul to be presented in the best possible light. For Do It Now, I said that McCartney's voice was the most appropriately utilised, but for sheer fun, shits and giggles, I really do have to go with Caesar Rock, as we get a healthy dose of Paul's wonderful, untarnished falsetto voice, untarnished falsetto voice, coupled with a remarkably gruff and filthy growl from Grandad Paulie, that generally made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up for the first time that I actually heard it. Like, this song is the perfect medicine for anyone who has concerns that Paul's voice uh, or health is poor in general. He's still got it where it counts. Of course, with She's a Rock and She's a Rock, the lyrics were always going to be a real winner with me, as I'm always a sucker for a good pun. She's a Rock, She's a Rock. I can never tell which one he's singing. Perfect. Love it. Out of all of the rockers on this album, this is the one that, to me, felt the most effortless. Like, there is no pretense or sense of trying to all too hard to achieve something that really isn't there. Like, you can tell that the core nugget of this song was something that he discovered by chance and just had to expand upon and to develop, and thank fuck he did. You know, I really wouldn't be surprised if this was actually going to be another single for Egypt Station. Uh, unlike Come On To Me and I Don't Know and rather like Fur You, I can see this song receiving genuine airplay and wider acclaim, as it's the kind of Macca crowd-pleaser that strays away from the typical Macca sound just enough to be something quite unique and interesting. And in comparison to Fur You, this song certainly relies less on gimmicks to achieve its objective. So in that sense, so in that sense, it may end up being the Egypt Station rocker for the ages. Despite repeated warnings... Despite repeated warnings, we move on to the slightly clunkily titled Despite Repeated Warnings, aka the song that we were all waiting for. You know what I'm talking about. The big Republican elephant in the room. Jesus Christ, Paul McCartney has written a song about motherfucking Donald Trump. Holy shit. Oh my... Oh, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe this. Actually, let's just get this out of the way. This song is 100% about, about Donald Trump. There are no two ways about it. Now, I've even seen Paul himself say that, you know, this is more about a mad captain ignoring global warming and other impending societal dooms. But when you have a line like, how can we stop him? Grab the keys and lock him up. It becomes very hard for me to think the primary takeaway thrust of the song is about anything other than the highly controversial 45th and currently residing president of the United States of America. Like, I'm sure Paul has more problems with Trump than just his environmental policy, but it is both politically more secure and in keeping with his hippie persona to put an environmental spin on the whole thing. And anyway, what a topic for Paul to pick, eh? Who'd have thunk it? Like, we know he's been political-esque before when pushed and on occasion has even expressed certain views about certain people slash things. But as far as I am concerned, this is one of the most outspoken, direct, in-your-face commentaries on the supposed free leader of the free world that any of us will ever see. And it's glorious. Like, you know how Macca would sing in High 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 about quote-unquote polygons rather than body guns? Or how even off this album, how he never knew that for you was going to ever be taken as anything other than for you? Well... This song has the exact same type of McCartney wink and nod to the camera style writing. Like, he can't just come out and say, Don't let the USA become a dump. 
Got a hang, draw, quarter, Donald Trump. Yeah. So instead, the song is delivered to us through, again, as far as my interpretation is concerned, a very purposely, a very purposefully thinly veiled stab at Mr. Drumpf. Almost as if to sarcastically point out that he can indeed directly call him out and that everyone will know what he means, but that he, as Sir Paul, is legally beyond reproach for such comments. It's nice to think that Paul is using his invincibility for good rather than evil for once. I just wish I knew whether Paul or and Kanye had ever spoken in private about the orange president or not. You ain't got the answers, Paul! Oh, come on now, Kanye, you know, just let it be, yeah? What I also like about the nautical concept of this song is that it fits the retrospective theme of Egypt Station very well, as the lyrics are very much in that archetypal McCartney freedom mode. The imagery that is pictured in this song has been painted before now, since he knows them inside and out and is able to repurpose them to a new end. Like, I cannot help but think of Wonderlust or Morse Moose and the Grey Goose when I hear these kind of... All this talk of captains, boats, oceans, etc. And I think this is all quite intentional, as it masks the damning condemnation of Trump in the guise of a quintessential, almost fairy tale generic Paul McCartney song. Like, if you didn't know what this song was about, or if you didn't really look too deeply into the lyrics or follow the news, then I'd actually be worried that half of the fun of the song would be lost. But fortunately, Paul doesn't even allow this to be a possibility, as he saves an appropriately epic rocker for the world's primo epic twat. Oh yeah, the music. <laughs> Forgot what podcast I was on for a second there. Which is wrong, really, because apart from all the wonderful imagery, joke-making, jibing, and overall prototypical Macca visual splendor, there is still more than enough creativity left for our ears. Remember, this isn't the last stop on our tour, but this is in function, certainly the grand closer for Egypt Station, with all the trimmings and gravy. And for many, it will be the best stop on the entire trip. I know, I was certainly grinning like a Cheshire cat through my first playthrough while sat on a canal side, cheese and onion bake in hand. Mm, mm, mm. It opens with this very sincere piano segment that really does not hint at where the song's going to go at all. And just to say, I wasn't like looking at the track length or anything, so I kind of thought that this was basically going to be the whole song. Which, honestly, I was more than fine with. Uh, you know, maybe a more serious maudlin ending to, to an hour. It decides that it wants to be Egypt Station's Band on the Run, just on the wrong side of the vinyl. And just like Band on the Run, it is that middle rocky segment that is clearly the standout best part of the entire song. Just the the sheer surprise and joy that I felt from Maka still being able to deliver these dirty, raucous riffs was just made, it just made me go damn in the best possible way. And despite, you know, the album actually offering me quite a lot of decent rockers, uh, and I was very satisfied by that point, yet somehow it still managed to top it, to deliver another rocker that was different to the others, that was unique enough, and that had enough balls just to really whew, take it to the next level. Oh god, that's such a cliche, I really shouldn't, shouldn't say things like that. It takes it to the next level. And then obviously finally, Paul sticks in the classic Band on the Run 73 formula closer by doing that extended, rousing uplifted, what I'm going to call fist pump segment. This is the part where I'm actually trying to think of a good uh, Donald Trump band on the run pun, and all I can think of is Band Donald Trump. Band Donald Trump. You know, this is the sing-along acoustic part that we all love. This is going to be the part where Paul really gets to rouse thousands of people, and I can imagine such a crowd having great interaction with this song. You know, this is going to be the part where everyone's chanting and holding up lighters and holding candles. And it's a, a wonderful affair. And hey, Paul, 
wink wink if you ever decided to play this in England. Do it at the O2 on December 16th, please. I'd really appreciate that. Or hey, better yet, get Denny Lane in and we'll sing I Lie Around. I'll come on stage and do the drumming if you want. The only negatives I would, I would really have about this song are the fact that out of all the tracks on Egypt Station, it's certainly the one where I do feel the length in a few places. And whilst I do know that this is very nitpicky, the fact that we have a triplet song here that's then followed by another triplet song with Hunt You Down, Sea Link and Naked, it just kind of diminishes the impact that either song can have. But that's just my own, my own opinion. It's generic Paul Macca excess and I should have come to expect it really. So yeah, despite repeated warnings, it wasn't the song that I thought was going to be about Donald Trump, but hey, it lived up to the hype, and then some. Station 2! Pressing forth into the blue, the penultimate point that we are approaching is Station 2, the sister twin piece to Station 1 that we saw at the start of the album. Again, this really one isn't a song per se, so we'll keep it short. Egypt Station seems to have been an album partly made up of titles that were intentionally created though, and to be released ahead of time to confuse speculative podcasters like me because we've had Confidante, which is about a guitar instead of a lover. We've had Caesar Rock, which wasn't about Donald Trump and is actually She's a Rock. And now we have Station 2, which I expected to share some sort of spiritual connection with the album McCartney 2, with the typography. And once again, my expectations were sadly not lived up to. How dare Paul McCartney not pander to my specific Macca tastes? Zero stars. What Station 2 wished to us in Station 1, this is once again harking back to the classic Maccaism of the across tug of war and pops of peace, etc, etc. And these little reprises, they reinforce the theme. Again, this song is another little palate cleanser that will allow us to move on to the final closer for the album. And this song is almost just like a little bit of a breather, just to kind of soak it all in and digest what's just happened. And though, whilst the two tracks are not identical, they are so kind of amorphic and free-flowing that trying to point out the differences between them is actually as impossible as it is pointless. Except this time, we actually have a little bit of a rough and jagged little guitar lick that ekes in from out of nowhere and kind of remains in the background. It's very enticing and beguiling, as this is something that we haven't heard in these station songs before. And this foreign element is a wonderful little transition that will bring us out to the proper closer of the album. Hunt you down, naked, sea link. And that song, or should I say three songs, are a trifecta one, two, three puncher that McCartney has thrown onto the end of this album, either as one of the most fun celebrations of his own style or the most self-indulgent thing on the entire record. And that really is saying something. Though, with this album's good track record, I am and was inclined to give it the benefit of the doubt because... Would this really be a proper Paul McCartney album without him slapping together a needlessly long and ambitious medley at the end for no reason at all? Well, all of his best albums did, but that's not the point. The point is that it's pure Paul. He knows it, we all know it, and it's just meant to be enjoyed for what it is. If Station 2 was the arrival at your destination or the end of the journey, then Hunt You Down Naked Ceiling could be seen as simply riding the rails for a good time. You know, the album is almost coming to a close. You have to come to terms with the fact that the fun is almost over. And yet, Paul, ever the showman, knows just how to finish off the audience perfectly with this triple hitter that, despite its finality, is just full of jubilation and excitement. It's a fantastic little pick-me-up rather than making you feel sad, as it causes you just to feel so pumped about the whole journey that you just went on, making you eager to whack on the whole album once again and relive it all right away. 
You're like, yeah, that was a fucking blast, wasn't it? It's also a brief rundown and consolidation of McCartney's taste, recording habits, as well as a kind of super condensed historiography of his entire career all in one song. Sounds like a tall order, but again, since it isn't taking itself all too seriously, it manages to combine all of these disparate styles and sounds into more of a channel-hopping, easy-listening kind of medley, rather than the Abbey Road, this is going to be a work of art medley. And no, before you ask, this is no Red Rose Speedway medley at all. That's probably the best compliment I can ever give it, really. Anyway, the three songs themselves are a bit of a mystery. I mean, Sealink definitely sounds like something that is very modern and was just Paul dicking about in the studio and asking the band to help create a situation where he'll sound like a badass guitar smith. But the other two, especially the second one, could easily have been lost in the back of some cupboard somewhere for the past 30 years and then Paul just stumbled upon them whilst doing a bit of spring cleaning. The three of them themselves are clearly little moments that Macca was fond of. These little things that could never really really be expanded into a full song but he was fond of them and wanted to include them on the album for the sake of including them and it's this pure feeling of unashamed fun and doing it for the sake of it that is that is so wonderfully transposed onto all of these tracks making them feel very pure McCartney. The first song, the first of the three parts aka Hunt You Down aka the song that had its roots in the end of Station 2 comes barreling in full of joy and life and zest and the whole vibe is just this shameless burst of energy and there's this rackety distorted guitar that was featured on the song from before and it's always it, it, it's a very slick sound for Paul and that's mixed in with this walloping cacophony of brass that just shouts don't go to sleep yet motherfucker and I can totally picture a world where this actually could be the middle eighth or a bridge for another incomplete McCartney song a la the hear me lover segment in the pound is sinking or something this is just a fantastic little Paul McCartney soundbite. The second, Naked, is the most McCartney-ish song in the medley, almost to the point of self-parody, whereby I wonder if Mac could try to see if he could write the most obviously generic Paul track ever made. And yeah, he kind of does that proper good old-fashioned Muzak to the highest degree. There's Blinky Plonky Piano of the Wazoo, and there's no point trying to stop him whatsoever. He's far too gone. It's happening. And it's kind of cute that the song titled, uh, you know, the very obviously straight-up phrase, Naked, being on an album with Come On To Me and Fur You, would be the most tame of the three. Though I will say, the lyrics are actually pretty darn endearing and seem to be a bit more of a substantial song out of all of the three, despite being the least interesting musically and compositionally. Um, it's a song that I actually really would have preferred to have seen expanded you know like when you see a short film and then that gets turned into a movie have that happen to this song the idea the image of being naked since you were born was was oddly poignant i thought and uh, the hook has just stuck with, with me in my head ever since which brings us to the final final close of everything that is on egypt station with the song sea link which is the final attempt at mccartney to fuck with my head with these tracks because once again on such a, a nostalgic album when I see a song called Sea Link, I, I either think back to Sea Moon or the Bip Bop and Mumbo links, like the actual physical links. And once more, I was foolish to do so as this song, if anything, harkens right the way back to the rough, raw, ready, homemade sound of McCartney 1 in a very satisfying way. All the bells and the whistles that we've had on the rest of this album are gone, and it is kind of just you and Paul and the guitar, we personal, it feels very slick, very atmospheric, very, very... It 
it's just the perfect ending for this album, really. It's just like your and no, that's not a snarky millennial insult or anything. It, I just really dig the way it on such a length. There's like an extra minute of song coming, and then nope, it's just gone. And then you hear this little rear, so that's always, always going to go d down well with me. And it's over. And what you're left with is just a fab way to end a fab album. Um, normally you wouldn't think that. Normally you kind of notice an obvious uh, week, different and varied, and it's its production and the way it's constructed. Well done, McCartney medley. You know, there's not much more to say about it than that, really. I do want to bookend this episode with nothing more than a really high praise for, for this album. Nothing interstellar or anything, but a general very high, above satisfactory praise for this album for Egypt Station. Wow, it's it's just left such an impression on me. I'm so glad that it came out. I'm, I'm really grateful that it's come out. And it's just amazing that it exists in that sense, just in the turn. And it's amazing how an album this good from this artist is so good at this point in his career. Sometimes it's best to remain a little bit coy, a little bit uh, flirtatious with one's final opinions on an album like this at this point. But I really am struggling to see a future whereby I am so world-weary and cynical that a listen to Egypt Station would do anything other than make me feel all warm and tingly on the inside. Yes, I am a McCartney fan. Yes, this is my McCartney album, my generation's McCartney album, as it were. Yes, I am a Beatle fan. Yes, I run a McCartney podcast and earn over $7 a month from a McCartney Patreon. But aside from all of that, Egypt Station was really good. Yep, yep, it was really good. I'm, I, I was really happy with it. Uh, two thumbs up. I recommend it to everyone. Uh, tell all your friends to listen to it or you know if your friends are a bit too cool get them to listen to Caesar Rock and Back in Brazil and Happy With You and they'll be happy enough to explore the album from there. I felt a real wave of euphoria during certain moments on this album. I was engaged, I was hooked, I could feel endorphins being pumped through my body so Paul you satisfied me on a chemical level 100% as well as an aural one. It just bore a big silly grin to my face on a consistent basis. It was a suitably wonderful soundtrack to my day, especially since I had both a train ride and bike ride, so it was just the perfect accompaniment to all of that. Yes, the album is kind of a, a Stranger Things of the McCartney world, whereby, you know, all of Paul's discography in one way or another is uh, intertextually referenced and page homage to, and there is this ever-present run of the old school of those roads rose-tinted glasses that harken back to the good old days, to the point where some people may be uh, feeling there's a little bit of a, too much of a been there, done that feeling. But in Paul's defence, that's been his shtick for the past five albums now. And the nostalgia base, and the nostalgia basin is not milked to the level that it could have been. And there's just this cornucopia of cracking new songs, new melodies, stellar production, really fun vocals, actually, and just these occasional displays and flights of genius that Make Egypt Station one of the most enjoyably fun contemporary albums that I've listened to for quite a while. You know, not that I listen to any contemporary albums or anything like that. You know, I'm sure every critic and hack is already saying this already, but well done, Paul, for being 76 and managing to create an album like this that still shows the young whippersnappers how it's done. It's not going to light the world on fire. It's not going to be listed as his best album or anything, but it's a fantastic product. There are many good songs. It, 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 it's not going to be one of those pandering episodes like, oh, it's good for what it is, you know. Oh, you know, well done. He's 76. Let's just, you know, give him... Com um, let's, let's just give him props for the sake of it, like a Meryl Streep acting Oscar nomination again. No, this is a fun album with fun songs that I like. I like to listen to this album. I've, like I say, I've been listening to it on rotation, not just for this episode. 
Christ, you know, I know that I've had albums to listen to for the show before and I've not listened to them in nearly the same frequency that I'll be listening to Egypt Station. Like, Paul is just still able to get it up and tap that Paul McCartney vein so well and give the McCartney fans everything that they want. Like, I don't know whether... Like, I don't know whether it's Paul's general musical inclinations and instinct or whether it's partly done through market research and going through internet forums and podcasts and stuff. But yeah, for, for real McCartney fans, for people who are totally hooked and want nothing more than the album to be good, they will find a wealth, an absolute wealth of material to engage with and enjoy. I know or, I know already loads of the super fans, the people out there on, on Twitter and stuff are just so excited to talk about this album and even some of the songs that I'm not particularly excited about they they really are and there's a great discussion and and there's a real active discussion and conversation about the album already which which is just so exciting to be a part of because the truth about it is that none of us really knew what to expect about Egypt Station at all I mean we could look at new and kisses from the bottom and stuff like that and memory almost full and kind of have a certain uh perception about what was going to come true and about what was going to be on the album, and while certain predictions inevitably came true, the perceptions of quality of Paul's albums are always ever mercurial, and they're changing and morphing, and I've never been a part of that live, you know. Uh, I came into the McCartney game very late, I came in after new, and yet here I am with the brand new Paul McCartney, and yet here I am with the brand new Paul McCartney album that I really like, and I'm really excited about, and I'm really excited to talk about. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about that, really. I hope my heart doesn't harden and I hope the cornier aspects of this album don't begin to wear or grate or anything like that because it's rare that I like an album by Paul that I know nothing about so because it really is rare that I am so excited and have engaged with a Paul McCartney album that I've known nothing about to this level perhaps only something comparable would be like Pipes of Peace or Twin Freaks or The Fireman or something like that. Like, this is brand new stuff and I'm excited to talk about it. And I guess I'm just really happy and grateful that it's not bad. Like, it really could have been terrible. You know, Paul is surrounded by yes men. And and whilst Paul is surrounded by the best men, he's also surrounded by the yes men. And we all had a certain scenario in our heads where it was just going to be the worst way to end the McCartney story. And... And rather fantastically, Egypt Station, Egypt Station, if it were to be the very last Paul McCartney album, would end the story on a much higher note than I think New would have. And boom, those were my initial thoughts on Egypt Station. It's a good album. Who'd have thunk it, eh? I mean, really, who would have thunk it? I was needlessly sceptical, I know, but my expectations were wildly exceeded. And the whole experience, just from start to finish, has been one of pure joy and adulation. Little too early to see what songs won't make it past this kind of um, ecstatic honeymoon period, but I'm sure I will be keeping you up to date on how I and obviously you out there will be feeling about these songs. My initial arbitrary score for this album, you know, kind of speaking as a sycophantic McCartney uber fan, but also as a jaded snotty millennial, I give this album four stars, 80%. 8 out of 10 cats. It's one made for the fans. Uh, It's got some incredibly strong production from Greg Kurtzman. Paul's arrangements and songwriting and pop sensibilities are as strong and sharp-witted as ever. Um, I honestly couldn't imagine a better team putting out a better product for Paul in this time of, of his life. You know, his voice gets away with murder again for one more album. The band are just on top form as ever. And just the sheer number of A, beautiful melodies, 
B, catchy hooks, and C, genuinely memorable moments, is just mouth-watering. Egypt Station, two thumbs up. Coming up in the future, we have all sorts of Egypt Station content as well. I'm sure by, by the time this episode comes out, I will have been to my gig in December as well to see Paul McCartney. So I'm sure I'll be talking about that in a very excited tone as well. And then we've got even more Beatles conspiracy episodes coming out. I know, I'm sorry, but that's just what I'm interested in. We'll have more Paul McCartney music videos, more film reviews. We're going to have more gig reviews. We're going to have even more hot hits and cold cuts to sink our teeth into. So keep your eyes peeled for all of that. Obviously, um, you eagle-eared listeners will have noticed I didn't include the bonus tracks for Egypt Station, and that will be a separate episode as well. But yeah, this has gone on for far too long once more, so let's truncate this, shall we? If you were affected by any of the issues raised in this show, please contact our support line at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Yep, that's our email. It's the best way to have a long form back and forth with the show. I always love reading out your emails on here as well. It's the best place to kind of get your views out of your system as well. Also, let me know your McCartney stories, let me know your thoughts on the music, and possibly any gigs you've been to as well. Let me know what you thought of Egypt Station most importantly, though. Let's get a real dialogue going for this album. I'm stroking my copy as we speak. It's so beautiful. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on the Twitter, at McCartneypod. It's the quickest, if more informal way to keep up to date with the show, and I just I love having fun with all sorts of polls, questionnaires, and nonsensical ramblings with you out there. That's at McCartneypod. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook simply by typing in the name. And also check out our Patreon. You know what that is by now. You know the jazz. Please support the show. Get early access to episodes. All that jazz. Help keep the lights running. Let's wrap this shit up nice and clean, people. Thank you all for listening, folks. I hope you all had fun. I hope to see you the next time around at the next station. I'm having so much fun researching Tug of War, and I can't wait to get that out to you. Let's have another proper episode, eh? Right, this is your host, Sam Wells, signing off. I'm sure Denny Lane is already playing us out by now. Peace and love, peace and love. Take it away from me, Denny, one more time.